Greetings, church and friends of the church. It is first weekend in May, uh, 2020. This is our eighth weekend in the season of wilderness and isolation where we're disconnected from what we know uh, because of our past life to be normal. And we also know we're not in a new normal yet. We are stuck in the in-between and we're not sure um, how long this in-between season will last. Um, while we're here in this place, um, we don't relate to God in the same way as communities of faith because we're disconnected from our buildings and those normal practices. We, we don't relate to each other in the same way. We don't relate to our neighborhoods in the same way. Um, and we have trouble understanding who we are, our own selves, in the same way. And um, this is a really unique opportunity to deeply reflect upon and reconsider the ways that we do relate to God as human beings and we do relate to each other as human beings and we um, relate to our sense of self. Um, we're not monopolized in this time by all the motions uh, of what we knew as normal and so we can actually pause and take stock in some helpful ways. And, and, and I hope that this series of reflections has been helping you to do that. Uh, to summarize the things that we've been considering so far along this journey of reflection, um, we've considered the, the critical importance of being present in this time, not, not allowing our minds um, to get monopolized by our memories of how things used to be or by our, um, our hopes that our future becomes the same, um, but, but to really be present to God and to each other, to our own selves, and the realities uh, that are here in the present. Um, we've considered how being in a time like this can, if we allow it, um, stir empathy within us in new ways as, as we are having eyes open um, in being present to others and their circumstances and their stories. Um, we've considered how, um, as we are present and empathetic, we can become aware of the privilege and the privileges that we have in our, in our own life that others don't share. Um, and we can feel that empathetic drive and desire to extend privilege to include all. Um, we've considered how, during this time, but really in, in all time, in all place, um, that God is in control of this world, um, but that God is in control of the God stuff, making sure that this world uh, upon which we live, in which we live, is um, provides for uh, the opportunity of everyone to live in places of sufficiency and well-being. But that in the midst of that potential of provision, we have to do the people stuff. We have to be in control of our things as people in ways that connect everyone to that possibility of enough. Uh, we've considered how um, we have to resist that urge that arises within us to just go back to the way things were because we admit that back there where we were wasn't a place of well-being for all. Not everyone was connected to enough. And so we have to start to open ourselves to the, to the possibility of um, moving forward into something that's different than the, than the ways that it used to be. And, and so last, the last reflection was on how 
um, when we're in that place of realizing we can't go back, um, we realize that we need at adaptivity, adaptation, we need creativity to um, imagine new solutions for us together as humanity, because those old solutions don't help us anymore. Um, our circumstances today are so wildly different than they were back then when uh, the solutions of what we knew was normal were, were generated. And so there's, there's this massive disconnect between the solutions that we have as people and the results that they bring about. Um, there's massive injustice and inequality, and we need new solutions in order to address them. So that brings us to this reflection, uh, the next step in this progression of thought, which is to consider that um, being in the wilderness gives us a unique chance to face the individual tendencies and temptations that keep us all from doing our part to, to bring about well-being and justice for all that um, keep us from doing our part to help control and connect everyone to that place of enough. These tendencies and temptations compromise our ability to be present. They squash our empathy. Uh, they can drive us to hoard our privilege. They can drive us to control um, in ways that are self-serving. They can drive us back to places of personal privilege and comfort, regardless of what life looks like for others, and they can cause us to resist and sabotage new adaptations and structures that we might imagine with creativity to better suit us in the here and now. So in this reflection, we're going to consider these natural tendencies, and then in the, in the next reflection, or two or three, um, we're going to reflect on the tempta specific temptations that come out from those natural tendencies. So these tendencies um, that distract and misguide us as people and, and start to break down this, the social structure of everyone having enough, um, they're as physical as they are emotional, mental, mental, or spiritual, thanks to the ways that the human body has physiologically evolved over hundreds of thousands of years. This uh, physiological reality predisposes us to um, a few fun things. Um, first, tendency we have, we are predisposed to thinking reactively for the sake of self-preservation rather than thinking rationally for the sake of a reality that is larger than our own world or our own well-being. Uh, we have a tendency to not be able to see past our own self. Um, our amygdala Part of our nervous system is constantly determining whether or not everything happening around us is a threat or an attack. If what is happening around us is not perceived as a threat or attack, then that data goes, uh, the amygdala sends that data to our cerebral cortex, which is the thinking and processing part of our brain. Um, there's no imminent threat, and so we can ponder what is happening without the need to act or react immediately. If what is happening is threatening or an attack or is in any way perceived as threatening, even if it really isn't, then the, uh, the amygdala sends that data to the limbic system of our brain, which is not about thinking or processing or reflecting or praying, but is about immediate 
reaction in response for the sake of self-preservation. If we perceive a threat or an attack, we're flooded by the limbic system with hormones that cause physical and emotional alarm. It, it prepares us to fight or flee. What we do and what we say in these times is not the product of thought or rationality or prayer or intentionality, but the product of raw and visceral emotion and this intrinsic drive for self-preservation. The thinking part of our brain is literally bypassed. It's not given any say into what we do or what we say. We act on urges and instincts that are selfish and self-serving. That is a tendency that is hardwired within all of us. The second tendency that's a legacy of our evolution as a species. We are predisposed to a negativity bias. Because of the ways that human beings have historically interacted with each other um, and with the natural threats in the wider world around us, our brains have evolved to focus on and more easily remember the negative. We evolved with this negative negativity bias for the sake of self-preservation. And the, the classic example is of, of rustling in the bushes. If I were to hear a, a, a rustling in our bushes back here in the backyard, um, would I optimistically assume that the rustling in the bushes is not a tiger when it might be? Or do I negatively assume that the rustling in the bushes is a tiger when it might not be. So our, um, our bodies and our brains have learned over time that if we always assume the negative, we're more likely to survive. So we've learned to be biased to the negative assumption so that we're not eaten by tigers. We've learned to be biased to the negative assumption so that we are not beaten or slandered or enslaved or rejected or hurt or attacked or, or in, in any way harmed by each other. So we have this intrinsic negative hunch about others that just naturally is a part of our hardwiring. Negative experiences that we have um, quickly take root within our minds and we more easily recall our negative memories than the positive. We tend to remember and focus on and assume the negative about other people. And this hyper-focus on the negative and the inability to hold positive memories in the forefront lead us to hold grudges against those who loved us, lead us to see our fellow citizens in this nation and this world as enemy rather than sibling in the human race. Um, this bias is what leads us to develop prejudices against whole communities of people. Um, it's the negativity bias is the second tendency. The third tendency we have, that's just a part of our physiological being, is that we're predisposed to be tribal. Now, because of our instinctual and uh, self-focused reactivity, and because of that negativity bias flaring up against people that we naturally categorize as them, we've learned to seek the safe haven of tribal us. Uh, we have evolved to seek the safety of a homogenous group that's as much like us as possible, 
in what we look like, how we act, what we believe, and how we perceive the same others. We've uh, evolved to understand that this is critical to our survival and that we have to find a group of people just like us who can band together against them. Um, those whom our reactivity and a negativity bias tells us are a threat to our well-being. Tribalism is um, a natural result of those self-preservation instincts. So we put these three um, natural physiological tendencies of our bodies together and we see a picture of the imperfection within our design as a species. This, this predisposition of each of us, every individual, that has drastic implications on what kind of collective community we become together. These um, individual predispositions that we all have are driving forces behind community ills like political polarization, when we fall for the lie that our sibling is our enemy because they're not part of our ideological tribe and are therefore a threat, um, racism and xenophobia, falling for the lies that um, immigration is negative, that those who are not like us are a threat, that because one of them um, was violent, that therefore we have this assumption that they all are, that they're all hardened criminals, or that they're all coming to steal you know, our piece of the pie. These tendencies have led to homophobia, falling for these lies that because someone's different in this one way, it's negative and threatening and somehow going to harm our children. It's, it's caused, uh, they, these have caused, caused classism, falling for the lies that someone who needs the help of social welfare uh, programs ought to be viewed negatively and that their needs present a threat to my own well-being because, again, they're going to they're gonna steal some of my pie. It's this vicious cycle. Um, because the more the middle and lower class are fearful due to insufficient resources, the more they will reactively turn against one another rather than rationally developing a new way forward. So the list just goes on and on and on and on. And with the evolution of military and weapons technology, the rapidly growing inequality in, that's a reality worldwide, these predispositions are getting more violent and more deadly every year. If these predispositions then go unknown, unchecked, unchallenged, if they're allowed free reign within us as individuals, it will continue to have drastic consequences for our own individual well-being and for our collective life together as a community. As an individual, maybe you're like me, um, feeling the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual fatigue caused by these COVID circumstances. When we allow these reactive, negative, tribal tendencies to define our days, we end up angry, short-tempered, reactive, suspicious, and exhausted. Being on this physiological high alert constantly breaks down our bodies and our minds and our spirits. As, as a member of the collective community, I have to admit that the way that I regulate or don't regulate these organic nat natural predispositions and tendencies within me, that has a direct 
impact on the health and the well-being and the peace of our community as a whole. If I'm a slave to these predispositions, then I won't be present, I won't be empathetic, I will hoard privilege and defend it with violence, I will ignore any sense that I can control myself in ways that better align with God's rhythms and intentions of peace rather than my own. I will default back to the past where I felt um, uh, most in control and most comfortable and most safe. I, I will resist creativity and change with sabotage and with force. If enough of us fall prey to these tendencies, that's when we see society at large start to deteriorate and to become marked by injustice and inequality, radical individualism, and a lack of empathy. The scriptures contain countless stories about the people known as Israel and the early church, and their humanity is really on display in these stories. There are stories in the scriptures of people finding the will to move beyond these tendencies and to in instead of be uh, motivated by these reactive, negative, prejudiced, and tribal urges, they're motivated instead by a higher calling upon their lives to be a vehicle through which God's will of bringing about peace and well-being to the nations is accomplished. Stories like Joseph putting himself at risk to help Egypt and all the nations of the world around them through a time of famine. Uh, Ruth was a widow who walked away from her own tribe and that place of safety in order to stay within and love the people of her mother-in-law's tribe. Uh, Esther confronts the king at grave risk to herself. And two tribes are reconciled as neighbors and allies instead of one tribe asserting violent power over another. The prophet Jeremiah stood up in the midst of exile and instead of allowing his nature, his tendencies to drive contempt for and violence against the Babylonians, he called instead for the people to seek the well-being of Babylon and to seek their kinship instead. We know Jesus' followers walked away from the safety of their tribes to tend to the needs of the sick and the hungry and the outcast from every tribe. But there are also plenty of stories in the scriptures about people falling prey to these tendencies. Cain kills Abel out of jealousy and fear. Moses kills an Egyptian. King David as Bathsheba's husband killed on the front lines. The all-wise Solomon collected so many taxes to pay for the extravagance of the temple and his thousands of wives and animals that he put all of his people in poverty. Peter pulled out his sword and cut a guy's ear off. Paul wrote in his letters about being a slave to the flesh, these dispositions, and he lamented, I do not understand my actions. I do not do what I want, but I do which I hate. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. We understand. We are made of the same flesh. We have the same brains. We claim as members of community of faith, communities of faith that we love our neighbor, but our actions and our priorities reveal how often we actually are only loving ourselves and looking out for ourselves instead. We claim as a nation that we want to be a nation in which every last person knows life and liberty and happiness, yet these tendencies constantly have derailed this pursuit. As we've chosen personal and individual wealth, safety, liberty, and privilege instead of the pursuit of a collective well-being, 
that intentionally seeks to protect and bless the lives of others so that all do truly know life and liberty and happiness. We have really beautiful moments when our lives embody and seek something bigger than ourselves, the better angels of our nature, but we also know the worse angels. It's often said that the first step in addressing a problem is, is admitting that there actually is a problem. You know, fortunate for us in the world around us, you know, being in this wilderness when we're not distracted 24-7 by the rat race of life, and we have more moments during which we're able to reflect and question and reconsider so much about life, that provides us a unique opportunity to actually see the problems that these very natural and organic tendencies tend to cause in, in, in our own life and in our, therefore, our community together. And so I want to invite and challenge us all to do a couple things. First, to intentionally carve out time every day when you can rest. Even if it's just for five minutes, set aside any sense of obligation or need to accomplish. When you can just think about and name all the good that is in your life. Let yourself soak in, marinate in that goodness. Because that makes us feel fortunate. It makes us feel secure. It helps our brains and our bodies to come down from that place of being on high alert. That shuts down the rational part of our brain. This is going to allow us to actually be present and to see others and to feel empathy and want to extend privilege and to want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We've got to help ourselves to come down from these reactive places. And that comes from a spirit of gratitude. So, so first thing, take, take some time every day to rest in what's good. And the second thing is while you're there, after you come down and the rational part of your brain is allowed to think again, really reflect on how these three tendencies have been apparent in your individual life and how they've been apparent as part of our connected life together and our history as a people. Allow yourselves to feel and admit how they are so very problematic. Because when we can admit this and we can feel this, we are gleaning a critical capacity from this wilderness experience, a first step that we can um, use to help us reorient our individual lives, and therefore our life together in ways that lead to a future of less exhaustion, a sense of futility and injustice, and lead instead to that new normal we are not yet in, which we hope and intend to be, a life together marked more by peace, purpose, justice, happiness, and everyone having enough. We've got to overcome these tendencies if that is to be our story. So friends, stay safe, stay home, be well, and peace be with you.